Walter Kremer is a professor of business and social statistics at the Technical University of Dortmund, author of 45 books about statistics, vulgarization, and a bunch of other topics. He is president of the German Language Society, father of two, and an exceedingly kind human being. He has won a bunch of prizes as a statistician and as an exceptionally good speaker of the German language. He writes regularly in different online publications. Jordan B. Peterson uh, is a Canadian uh, a psychologist, I think, or a psychiatrist, a psychologist. He's like, he's a well-published, super smart guy. He's very eloquent as well. And he had problems with the fact that uh, transgender people now require to be called like a third gender, like, like a new gender, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was he and she, and now it's like mm -hmm. this third gender, right? Um, and so um, he has, um, he's been in the spotlight for that because a lot of people were felt uh, attacked by his non-willingness to use those pronouns. Um, there's no such pronoun in German yet. Could you confirm that? Well, in fact, there are efforts to introduce a, a pronoun for diverse people. Uh, in fact, just this morning I read new, uh, an article in Die Welt how many of them are there officially in Germany? 400 out of 80 million. So I think, is it really worthwhile making such a fuss? Um, but anyway, um, I think the grammar of the German language does not allow for introducing a, a new pronoun because this would have side effects for various other areas of uh, the structure of the language, which make it almost impossible to introduce that. Huh. I I've heard that in Swedish it's possible. They have. Uh, I think they have hen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have hun and han, and now they have hen, you mm -hmm. know, which is. And also, like, um, uh, as, as long as the vowels go exactly in between. So mm -hmm. There might uh, be languages where it's easier. It depends upon this, the grammar of a particular language, whether it can be done or it can't be done. Well, I think, you know, um, those people are creative, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they have done stuff already and they introduced in German and you should tell more about this, the little Sternchen and, mm -hmm. and that. Could you tell two or three words about that? In fact, uh, another, another coincidence, uh, 10 minutes before you came here, I had a filter uh, um, installed on my um, computer, which rejects all messages coming with the gender star. <laughs> Is it an add-on to your browser? or? Uh, yes, uh, you can once you're back home send me a message with a gender star in it and you'll just try it right away Okay, anti-gender filter mm -hmm. no, I don't try it. We have lots of time. Just try it Wait, wait. With, with your to google it or yeah, no with your laptop send me a, le um, a message to Walter K at statistics I'm gonna send it to you because there's like many things maybe so I'm gonna send you maybe a list of different things mm -hmm. I'm gonna send it to you at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, fine. I'm just taking notes right now mm -hmm. so. Um, also like, but the statistic but literature chart time. And this, in fact, is at the moment. Um, oh, yeah, you asked me whether I've got a hobby at the very beginning. I do have one, in fact. This is the German language. Uh, I'm the founder of the Society for the German Language. And, well, this keeps me busy. It used to keep me busy one evening per week. Uh, and recently, um, we have this has taken up a lot of steam uh, in our effort to uh, keep the Duden uh, from. Uh, um, eliminating what we call generis masculinum, which means that uh, der Becker is uh, means all people who make bread, whether they are diverse, female or male, 
uh, and uh, that's at the moment one thing where I'm a bit involved and you can look in the at Google you know find some quotes to I that find some, so, yeah. mm -hmm. um, so uh, you obviously think it's it's going to the wrong direction and um, there should be no such thing as introducing like uh, taking away the uh, masculine mm. yeah. oh, no the point is you must make a big distinction in addressing people if I address people giving a speech I always address women as women so liebe Bäckerinnen liebe Schneiderinnen but when I talk about abstractly about a profession like the profession of baking bread or making bread this is called der Bäcker exactly and that's the difference addressing people talking to people you have to take account of the sex they have and that's that's just a rule that's in the German language that's, yes. that's had all that had all, always been the rule for the past ever mm. um, now people are trying to uh, change that how do you fight against that oh we have a lot of um, people who help us a lot of uh, well-known um, public figures if you check uh, in the on our uh, website, the list of prominent members of our uh, Verein, you'll find, uh, for instance, the grandson of the last uh, emperor of uh, Austria, Otto von Habsburg. I know that. He speaks Hungarian. He's, he's a cool dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, <coughs> lots of uh, other prominent people. Uh, just yesterday, I got a letter from the, I think, best-known philosopher of all of Germany, Peter Sloterdijk. I must talk to him. He Peter became what? a member yes, yesterday of our society. Is so, there, what's, what's his name? Peter Sloterdijk. Slo it's a Dutch name because his father is Dutch. Okay. I think he's uh, considered to be the best-known German philosopher next to Jürgen Habermas at the moment. I, tr I tried to um, watch some stuff from Habermas, but I could not really understand no. it. Did he used to speak better? In fact, uh, I made, well, in one of my books, uh, I think it's, I don't know which one it is, I quote the, I think, still most influential and eminently readable philosopher, it's Karl Popper, which I really like a lot. I love him, I love him. It's the greatest ever. And he once translated Habermas into German. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And it's, uh, um, you can check it in the net. It's in a lot of uh, places. It can be found. Just check Habermas translates Popper into uh, Popper translates Habermas into German, and then you'll see why you can understand this person. It's, I think he makes it intentionally to uh, make to develop an air of the uh, big thinker and uh, nothing behind it. But, but he still has you know decent thoughts. He's still like a you know he's good on thinking. Well, I, nobody can tell because nobody <laughs> understands what it says. Maybe, maybe I should try that stuff as well. Um, um, cryopreservation. Cryopreservation means uh, that people could be uh, frozen so that they can be uh, awakened 100 years from now and maybe there's like a cure for cancer and the cure for all the stuff mm. that they died of. Um, have you looked into this? Do you have any opinion on like, if it's, like no. a sensible thing? The only... I once got got acquainted with that in a in a, in a yeah. film by Louis de Finesse where one of his ancestors uh, was frozen in the Antarctic and then woke up and uh, 
200 years after he uh, died by freezing. But this was a joke and I think this will never uh, be a large success. M many people, of course, will try because they are afraid of dying and this is one thing uh, why it's so popular thinking about that and speculating whether it might be successful that people just cannot uh, adjust to the fact that uh, their life is going to an end mm. at some time. Um, I asked this question in part because um, I watched a, a lecture of you where you were talking about how uh, the more medicine we have, the the, 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 the sicker we are. Th that's right? Right. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, that's, uh, so we could freeze all the old people. That would like at least you know push the problem to the future. That's that's one aspect of that, but uh, this is a very serious problem. Uh, modern medicine is uh, very beneficial to all of us. I think I myself would long have been dead if there wouldn't have pharma industry. Uh, but as a side effect, we have in Germany now um, 15 million people who suffer from diabetes. When under Kaiser Bill's time, there was about 10,000 because they died. Once diabetes developed, they only lived about a couple of months longer and then they were dead. Now they continue living because of insulin. And the same thing with uh, lots of other diseases where people uh, are kept alive, although still ill, but for most people, at least I'm uh, one of them, uh, continue living even if ill is preferable to death true so uh, but, mm. but, but you, you don't argue for killing those people obviously mm -hmm. um what's is there like a solution here like like really i'm trying to like come up with like actual you know solutions and i think cryopreservation could be a solution uh, as well as um euthanasia or euthanasia combined with some kind of cryopreservation um no um not at all in germany of course for very uh, understandable reasons but i think it's uh, um, not a, a serious option. Uh, what might be a serious option is making it easier for people who really have um, ha have enough of it to uh, commit suicide. Euthanasia, this is yeah. still uh, almost impossible and there are lots of people uh, who might be happy if they were allowed to do so. Um, I think it's stigmatized in our society to, mm. to commit suicide or to, to like walk away from life. Even if mm. you're not feeling yeah. comfortable, even if you're feeling like you're a burden to, to the rest yeah. of your family. Um, I think it's like a, it's a non-starter to even talk about this. Yeah, that's you one you of talk the about uh, this, you, it, side effects of our Christian heritage where uh, this has been um, a no-go for uh, since Christianity evolved uh, 2,000 years ago. What are your hobbies? What do you do in your free time? Free time? Yeah, if you have such things, a free time. Um, since I'm now half retired, there is some free time left over, which hadn't been the case for a couple of dozen of years. Uh, now I start doing long walks to the countryside. Uh, I live with my wife uh, close to a major lake in northern Germany, and we walk around that lake a lot. We care for our uh, grandchildren. Uh, one of them will visit us over the weekend, so I will build a small uh, toy train uh, with my grandson. Grandfather stuff. So that will keep me busy for the weekend. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, you uh, said you're uh, still working. You, you work half time. Um, it's, not everybody would choose that. Like most people just go and, and choose retirement. Mm -hmm. um, 
did you think a lot about that or would you like did you hesitate a lot how long are you planning to still work no i'm really very happy that uh, i have the opportunity to stay here at the university which i think the best place to work in all the whole world uh, being a university professor is the best thing i can dream of and i'm so happy that i uh, got a position like that and now i uh, since I'm retired, I don't have to teach anymore, but I'm still in charge of a major research project and I have to supervise the researchers working in that project. Okay, so That's why I'm teach, still here. You don't teach anymore? Do you? No. Um, did you enjoy teaching or more the research stuff? Uh, both, in fact. Uh, in fact, teaching is a challenge. Teaching statistics to people who hate statistics is a real um, tough thing to do. and uh, If you get the feeling people uh, like what you told them, that uh, makes you happy. And if they learn stuff, it's, it's making the world a better place, arguably. Um, we really talked about a lot uh, a bit before. Uh, how do you write? What's your writing um, procedure? Do you still write on paper or do you like rather like take notes on computer now? No, nowadays um, I take the uh, Diktiergerät. Uh, Diktaphone? What's, uh, um, it's a Dictaphone? Uh, one of those things over there. So I uh, talk to the computer and then I um, do some editing afterwards. That's how I'm writing nowadays. And then you transcribe it? Yes. Right. No, I let the computer do the work. So You have like a transcriber program? Yes. Uh, it's this one here. Maybe you, you have no, Dragon Home. I should get that one. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, the best on the market. Okay. So you talk into it and out comes like a text file. In word, yes. Wow, no way. Um, and um, do you write all the time, a bit, or you have like days where you only write and other days where for, for a week you don't write anything? That's in, in fact happening stochastically. For instance, uh, yesterday I got a phone call from a German newspaper uh, called Tisches Einblick. To, they wanted an article about um, corona crisis and what in Germany is called Übersterblichkeit. Do people die? Is there an excess of death because of corona? And I wrote an article yesterday night, which appeared hopefully today. But this happens when I'm asked for a comment or a statement on something. Uh, I've more or less given up writing books on my own um, impetus because... Uh, it's a hell of a lot of work writing a book and um, very, very rarely do you earn money by doing that. Okay, so uh, it's not that you enjoy it less, it's just a lot of time and you invest your time in a different way. Yeah. Um, um, so all those books that you have written, um, do you count how many books you have written? Uh, it's like about a 45. Uh, 45 books, that's uh, one for every year of your active career? More or less. Or less? Uh, there were some years where I wrote uh, four or five. Okay. And um, uh, so, um, yeah, so uh, the question is, uh, do you write the books because they're going to be books or do you just write random uh, thoughts and they come together to form a book? Mm, a mixture. Uh, the, the books, the ones, very few of them, in fact, who really sold well, there were collections of random thoughts, like the book on how to lie with statistics. It was a collection of things which occurred to me when reading a newspaper or watching TV. Also, my lexicon epopolianatimer, uh, what's that in English? Um, misconceptions, errors of all kinds. Mm -hmm. Likewise, uh, I collected them uh, over the years, and once I had enough of them, 
I made a book out of the stuff I had collected. Others, like um, irrational behavior towards risk, were planned. So that's one thing which bothers me since I started reading newspapers as a child, that people behave very irrationally towards uncertainty and risk and don't know how to deal with probabilities at all. And that's a hobby of mine and I have written at least three serious books on how to deal with this problem. And these books were planned and uh, written chapter after chapter for a year or so, each one. I think a lot of people should read these books and especially people who never think of reading these books are the ones who get the most out of it. Like I think there's a convergence of like people who read these books are maybe already they're more uh, literate on statistics, That's right? And right. um, is there like a way to inverse that, do you think? Uh, I will, I didn't... To, to inverse the situation where the people who most would profit from reading the book would mm. get them. That's indeed the, the, the most important problem at all. Uh, how to get people involved or interested in rational behavior towards numbers and probabilities who have no interest whatsoever in this material. And there's in fact a, a major initiative which started yesterday in fact. You can uh, look it up on the internet. It's called Statistic Literature uh, Charter. Uh, Statistic Literature Charter, which is sponsored by the German government, where I'm also a bit involved as a sponsor, and one of my PhD students is the major um, driver in, in this project. Uh, and that's maybe one way of getting this into the school curriculum and getting uh, rational behavior towards um, probabilities being made uh, a subject in uh, elementary school already. In elementary school, so, so this is for, uh, for, for any person or is it um, um, targeted at like a school system or? No, this initiative is meant to uh, change the curriculum in elementary and high schools in Germany to bring more mathematics, not mathematics, uh, statistics dealing with numbers, statistic literacy, okay. not what statisticians would call statistics, but rather a basic elementary training in dealing with numbers good stuff i think i think you're 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 doing one of the most productive things you could do with that because i think uh, a lot of people need that and uh, the best opportunity i would argue as a high school teacher yeah. is you know when they're young they're still manipulable your university students no way that, i mean it's a very small margin you can play with yeah that's right but it's, you know, small small people you know 10 to 15 years well, maybe you should look have a look at that charter okay let's get into some serious stuff and um matters that uh, that highly um disturb me climate change i do see that there's a climate change hysteria i do think that um there's way more fuss about this by orders of magnitude than what it's uh it deserves um Concretely, I think uh, that the problem of climate change is obviously a real problem, right? Um, it's presented to us as if it was a solvable problem, at least the part where we could somehow get uh, into CO2 neutrality or CO2 negative mm. uh, globally, because this is obviously a global phenomenon. Could you tell me your uh, you know, grand view on this subject? Well, I have looked into historical data a bit, and it's disturbing how much um, Every temperature has changed over the decades and centuries. There was a, a global winter in the early uh, 1800s in Germany and all of Europe. There was a very, very warm decade in the early 14th century. Uh, so this has happened over the centuries since 
people took notes of the weather. And what's happening nowadays is not at all a unique uh, phenomenon, but this is something which has been happening dozens of times in the past. Yeah, but then are you then saying that it's uh, mostly caused by the natural cycles? Mostly. That's, that's, uh, well, um, of course, um, human behavior contributes to climatic change, no, no doubt about it. The question is how much. And uh, that's, that's not my specialty. Uh, but given the um, fervor with which the climate activists are um, uh, defending their cause, I really much doubt a lot whether they are right. I, I get your point. Um, I also don't like the fervor part. I think there's, there should be like way more uh, science and data and statistics involved in here. And um, not like... Uh, the, the, the images of uh, seals and, and polar bears dying because that's that's not that's not data that's mm -hmm. uh, that's the amygdala so I think that's right. um, I think I disagree with you there that um, I would attribute most of the the current uh, hike in temperature to human activity um, and I'll ask your number about this I think I would attribute to like uh, ninety plus percent of our uh, current temperature hike maybe there's some natural stuff. But the speed and the amplitude of it, I think to me, I have looked at the data and um, my interpretation is it's mostly human-made. But I would go um, um, a stück further, which is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's human-made. The only thing that matters is what we can do about it. And uh, let's assume that it's going to be tragic. Let's assume like a lot of people are going to die and there's going to be a lot of mm. uh, upheaval. Um, can we do something about it? And that's what most people get wrong, in my opinion. They think that we can do something about it. It's a collective action problem. It's a race to the bottom. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's this game theoretical trap where even if Germany goes down to uh, carbon neutrality, it's not going to you no. know, be, be a, a significant. That's a bit ridiculous, uh, German behavior in that respect, thinking that uh, they could uh, change a lot uh, by doing whatever they plan to do. Uh, it, if uh, this effort has... Uh, any chances of uh, success, it must be a global effort, of course, and uh, one must persuade, let's say, the Chinese of using less coal uh, for energy consumption uh, production, which they in fact started doing. Uh, just yesterday I wrote in the papers that they are planning a lot of new nuclear power plants, which Germans should have also kept working rather than shutting them down. This is idiocy in the... Uh, it's so ridiculous. Uh, uh, shutting well-functioning power plants down and letting coal plan uh, power plants continue working. It's ridiculous. People should go into jail for that. How do you send people to jail for that? You're like, mm -hmm. uh, you have to have a government that's based on data and statistics, mm -hmm. and then you could send people... No, to our current government is based, uh, it's made out of idiots in that respect, at least. What yeah. energy policy, uh, as far as that is concerned. Yeah. But so uh, to come back to this, uh, think about the, 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 the ground reality of climate change. It's here. I mean, temperatures are going up. Um, do you want to put a number on how much percent of this climate change you attribute to human and to non-human factors? No, uh, I've decided not to comment on things which I don't understand. So I've never worked as a statistician in this area rather than checking historical data and looking at them. but. Uh, developing models to explain them. Uh, I've never been involved in this area of research, so I will not comment on that. Okay. Um, so what do you think about the part where um, 
Um, so I already said that uh, I think it's, it's just not reversible. Um, in my opinion, uh, it's gonna come down to the price of oil because we are uh, burning coal uh, using oil and, and as long as that's cheaper than uh, nuclear or solar or uh, whatever, it's mm. gonna be like somebody's gonna burn oil, right? Like it's gonna be cheaper. It's just yeah. the market, and um, maybe a better way would be to drive up the the cost of using carbon. What do you think about carbon tax? That's one of the very few sensible uh, things that uh, politics has come up with. Uh, I'm a, an economist mainly, although I started as a mathematician, but uh, also took a degree in economics uh, and prices is the, are the best way to uh, steer an economy uh, and uh, not only the economy, uh, society as, as a whole and if you make it uh, une too expensive people will stop using it. That's so simple, it's trivial. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's wrong with Greta Thunberg? Uh, Somehow, well, she has often been uh, compared to Jeanne d'Arc in France, uh, which were both young ladies, I think. It sometimes happens with girls the age of 15 to 16 that some screw in their head turns wrong and uh, they behave strange. And then uh, the environment uh, reacts as it does at the moment. I mean, she's a good speaker. She has captured a lot of people, but she could be, you know, might as well be 30 years old if, if she's, you know... Um, enthusiastic enough she could convince a lot of people what 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 i personally don't like about greta is that she's really uh seeding uh this this fear this this uh, sense of urgency about climate that if you don't do something very radical now the world's gonna come down right and 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 that's that's what i think is, is really wrong about like, i think she's not only this thing is wrong with what she's doing and saying and thinking uh, i remember her speech in front of the united nations where she um, Schimpfen, the delegates, how dare you to do this and that. These delegates have uh, produced an environment where this young lady could grow up, going to school, not having hunger, not being uh, afraid of being killed by anybody at random as people uh, would have had 120 years ago. This is in German uh, it's called Wohlstands Welfare Kid. No, those kids following her on those uh, Fridays for Future uh, demonstrations, they just do not know how well they have been protected in their life so far. And they should uh, be thankful to the people whom they are cursing uh, that they are what they are. Uh, do you mean like first word problems? I think climate has become like a first word problem. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a, to me, it's a problem that's that's a non-problem first of all because we have way way easier problems to solve. And I'm a big fan of Pareto problem solving. Um, and I think there's that's like so, so many low. So you also forget to in economics because that's a very very important. I think it's, it's that's people should that. use that for life. Like yes, this yeah. is this is like life philosophy. Yeah. If you don't know it's what the Pareto uh, improvement is. Yeah. Um, um, well, if you have, have understood that, you will be a different person. Exactly. But most people have never heard about that. Pareto. Yeah. People look up freaking Pareto uh, you know, improvement. So um, it, it's not, not even the 20% that's useless uh, that greater is, is the last percent. Because mm -hmm. there's no way we're ever going to make something useful uh, to re like, you know, uh, like somehow reverse climate change. But enough of that.
how long do you want to live? Have you ever thought of this? Like, like if you could choose the age at which you die today, you have to like come up with a number. Mm -hmm. well, I think this would be um, the worst thing you could ever uh, do to a person. Tell him the day when he or she is going to die. This is uh, a random event and this is one of the very attractive features of death that you don't know when it's going to happen. Okay. Um, are there some no-go's? Like, are there some conditions like uh, dementia where you would say, um, I would rather like not have that and rather die before that? Well, um, my mother died when she was 95 and she was uh, developed dementia when she was 93. But I think even at that time, uh, she enjoyed life. Um, she had happy moments, so I wouldn't mind uh, doing the same later okay. myself. Um, safety first. This is, I think, uh, something that has crawled in our culture recently. Everything is about safety. Everything is about, you know, making sure that nothing bad can happen at all and then do the, the least uh, common denominator, like do the, 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 the least crazy stuff, which ultimately leads to like no improvement and no, no better yeah, of society yeah, or Ridiculous. People. This is an um, attitude which is also very uh, popular in Germany, much more so than it is in England or in the United States. Um, very costly attitude towards environment, towards econ economics and this society at large. And this is, was in fact the stuff of three of my books on how, um, well, our irrational behavior in that respect, how costly it is and how stupid we are. Um, the safety first uh, thing I think is, 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 is going up as a function of time. I think it has not always been like what, this. What is going up as a function of time? Uh, the safety, like the, the, the amount of safety we need yeah, of to, course. like, mm. the amount of safety in, in our culture in general. Yeah. Well, of course, the probability of dying in a traffic accident is going down and the probability of dying of cancer is going down. Age adjusted, of course. Uh, overall, it's increasing because we get older. Um, um, I, I put safety um, as a concept against this other concept that I think we had and we could also, like, we could have it again if we really tried hard or if something forced us, which is something that I would call courage and, mm, right. um, and honor and idealism. Courage and honor, I, I think, um, are very underrated in this current, you know. Uh, very much so. In fact, uh, today there is a so many coincidences uh, because a very good friend of mine, she, uh, in fact, earned lots of prizes in, uh, by her uh, novels she wrote, Monica Maron. Her last book is exactly about that. Oh. Why we don't have heroes anymore. Do you think heroes are over? Is there going to be like a comeback for heroes? Does there does have to be like some kind of like major meltdown for that to happen? Well, in general, uh, if there is a big need for heroes, that's a sign that something is um, not working as it should. So uh, the best of times are those where you don't need heroes. But if there is need for one, uh, well, uh, you should maximize the chances that they're one step forward. Yeah, and uh, I think our current society and culture doesn't maximize their, you know, their their power or their um, uh, their words, which is you know in a way good because we don't want to do crazy stuff, right? But I, I also think we need heroes. Um, 
do you think that uh, violence is ever justified? If a hero uh, comes around and he says, we must do some bad in order to do some good, is, is violence ever justified? In an emergency, of course. Um, if uh, somebody uh, came and was trying to kidnap uh, my grandson who will visit me over the weekend, I would kill him on the spot. Uh. Let's talk about the Euro. I think the Euro is a very dangerous thing and um, it could collapse, it could lead to a lot of bad things. I think it's one of the reasons why Europe cannot function politically. And um, yeah, tell me all about the Euro. The Euro is the nail in the coffee of the European idea. In fact, that's one of the 45 books. Uh, uh, it's called, um, it's over there, Kaltent Eiken in German, um, how the Euro um, ruined this uh, great project of the United uh, Continent. One should have never introduced it and it should be abolished as soon as possible. Is it too late? No, it will... Uh, Is it too late for the European Union? Like, can we still exit the Eurozone and still somehow like, keep the political unity together? As you see, the uh, Britons have done it. They have left um, the Eurozone. Well, they have never been part of the Euro currency unit. Um, it's painful, but it can be done. Mm. Should it be done? Should, should there be a euro, like a euro, like an EU without the euro? This whole project should evolve from a core of, of countries who share the same view of managing their economy. And whoever wants to join is free to join, given that he, she, or how do you call a country, it, uh, is prepared to stick to the rules. And this is, uh, as I show via lots of examples in my book, that from the beginning all the rules have been broken, which were set up when the euro was established, first in 1992 in Maastricht. And it wasn't the year after that when, in fact, the Germans were the first one who uh, tried to bend the rules to their favor and then every other ones, uh, all the other ones did the same. Could you tell me what that was? The one there had? was a rule about uh, public um, debt, 60% of gross national product and at that time there was reunification and the German finance minister had to borrow money and he um, broke that ceiling of 60%. But was it only a rule for Germany or for all? No, for all of them. Yeah, but a lot of them were way over it already, no? At, at that time, not. They Wait, started... 1992? 1992. Huh. Like, even France was below 60%? <sighs> and Italy was certainly not... Or was it? Uh, well, nowadays, yeah, of course, way over. All of them are way over 60 except maybe two or three countries like Malta or so. But... Uh, I think at that time, the Germans were the first ones to, to break, the break the rule. Well, I, so the way I remember, like from a couple of years back, it was always the Germans who were reproaching the French uh, about their um, deficit, right? So the, the, it's not about like how many percent of your GDP you're owning. It's, uh, it's just like 
in every year, what's your prognosed deficit? And the French were always like between two and five percent, mm -hmm. like you know below uh, their means, and um, and the Germans not. So I think it came down to like, okay, let's forget about the sixty percent and let's mm -hmm. just like set a yearly limit, and even that they broke, right? Well, this is so long ago. Um, one thing I really know for sure, the Germans broke the rule. I'm almost certain that they were the first ones to break it. Uh, and that soon after, uh, nobody took those rules seriously anymore. It yeah, makes sense, right? Like, you know, you just make a rule and then, you know, it sets uh, uh, um, um, an example and mm -hmm. nobody is going to stick to it. Um, so, so I want to return to this question because uh, the euro, I think you and me both agree that it has to fall, it has to fail at some point. The question is like, are we gonna like exit from it country by country and it's gonna make a major mess, but at least it could like somehow like lead to the European Union at least sticking together? Or does it have to be like a big implosion, like some kind of hyperinflation kind of thing? Well, the consensus among economists is that um, it would be manageable if some countries left individually um, First of all, of course, Greece, they should have left long ago and that would have helped them a lot because the euro uh, is the major obstacle to economic growth in Greece. Uh, it makes uh, domestic products much too expensive. Uh, they are unable to, uh, to export what they produce. Uh, they should devalue their currency, which they can't because they have a euro. Uh, and that's a disaster. Yeah. I think the same goes for many <clears throat> Mediterranean countries, mm. and uh, and their hands are tied. And there's no clause in the mm. EU, uh, you know, fund document how to do that. There's no way to like how do we, you know, exit the the, the, the eurozone. And uh, okay, so let's assume tomorrow Greece announces, yo, we're leaving the the eurozone. What's your what's your you know uh, what's your timeline? What will happen? Well, um, a lot of banks. Uh, who and uh, Mr. Kramer, who also owns uh, Greek um, public uh, bonds, would lose a lot of money because they would then be uh, denominated in the new drachma, which would uh, be worth much less than it used to be for in terms of euro. Yeah. Um, but the Greeks themselves uh, would enjoy a considerable economic growth very soon after. Okay, that's that's for Greece, and that's that's for your personal case. Cool. What about the rest of the euro, uh, the eurozone? Like, it's it's gonna set a precedent, and some other countries, you know, uh, you know, maybe preferably something like Portugal and Ireland or whatever, they could start exiting. But right, so isn't this like some kind of avalanche that's gonna uh, ensue? Um, I mean, it depends on how it goes down in Greece, mm -hmm. right? If in Greece it makes a major well, mess. this will be the benefits for some parties like uh, the Greek. Uh, Companies and um, employ employed uh, workers, the Greeks themselves, they will um, benefit from that. Uh, except the Greek banks, uh, might, might, some of them might go bankrupt, and, and the state uh, might go bankrupt, right? Well, is it? It's automatically going mm -hmm. bankrupt, not necessarily, but it could happen. Um, and this is a real, well, not danger, but a risk uh, that should be kept in mind. But continuing as it uh, is done at the moment is even more riskier. Some 
countries in the Mediterranean will never ever be able to um, live by their own means because they cannot on the international market sell their goods and services. Uh, as long as they are in the Euro, you mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But they could live on their own if they were independent of the Eurozone, right? Like they did before. Yeah, exactly. That, Portugal, they were, you know, they were quite happy, times. yeah. Mm -hmm. Without the, the Euro. Well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it's like, okay, um, Greece exists. Let's say it goes down more or less like smoothly and nobody, you know, goes, you know, the drachma is devalued and everything, but, but it's not like it's, it's a major disaster. Then other countries could follow, like first maybe the smaller and the, and the, the less well-performing ones. Um, do you think it's, it's some kind of roadmap for the EU? Like if, if you were like, like trying to do the best solution that still keeps the euro, sorry, the EU together, with like slowly like building the, the euro down well, is this a way or, or yes there are of course lots of benefits and if not performing countries or the countries who suffer from the euro leave uh, the rest will be more able to exploit the um, lots of benefits which are also involved like for instance no currency risk for exporters anymore the ease of transferring money across countries this is also uh, making economies run much more smoothly as they otherwise would yeah. which saves costs makes um, well international cooperation much easier as it otherwise would be uh, so benefits would increase if under performing countries would leave so they would know the incentive to leave would also be uh, less and there would be a, some equilibrium in a short time mm. where everybody is satisfied with the state as it is I hope something like that will be possible I think it's, it's not in the people don't talk about this yet I do believe that as the euro is um, starting to uh, metastasize and uh, and there's like even more problems coming with like more of the Geld Druckerei, um, mm. print more money. I think it's gonna become um, a topic, uh, like a common topic that people talk about. So how do we actually maybe orchestrate this whole like um, EU exit, like Euro exit? Um, because because one of my great concerns is that if, if, if it implodes, it's gonna be bad for everybody. If there, there's like a way to do this slowly and uh, stufenweise it just like, you know, step by step, then it's gonna be better for everybody. Um, uh, I have a question about the the, the, this debt, the Greek debt crisis specifically because um, from 2009 on until like 2013-14 that was like a, a, a topic, right? Like you could read about this in the news and somehow then the topic just disappeared. To my knowledge there was no solution. Actually like the problem got worse since then but nobody's talking about this. So like do I see this correctly that it was just swept under the rug? Might be, might have contributed to, to this phenomenon, but other um, developments helped. Uh, for instance, uh, parallel disasters elsewhere. Um, uh, I think Italy for a year or two was close to bankruptcy, which uh, attracted a lot of media attention at the time. So uh, the media always tend to you know, be concerned with the maximum disaster at the moment and if there's even a larger one that increase, then increase the, this the, um, um, 
verschwindet uh, from the Bildschirm. Uh, disappears. Disappears, yeah. Um, so it was just sweat on the road. Like in, in your opinion, like do you have any evidence that the situation got better in Greece or in Italy? Let's not even talk about Corona. Just like mm -hmm. 2019. Well, uh, a couple of years back, I did check um, the international trade statistics for both Greece and Italy, and at uh, that time, it was as I said that Greece uh, was even uh, importing uh, the cheese from Turkey because they couldn't sell their feta anymore because it was too expensive. Um, that is uh, five or six years ago. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, so I can't tell. I should look up some charts and stuff, but um, so far as I know, the, there has been no improvement. <clears throat> and back then, I think the reason why there was so much news coverage of this is because this was uh, the impending end of the of the Eurozone as we know it. And um, I don't think that the problem has got better. Actually, it got way worse with Corona. Um, do you want to say two or three words about how this Corona um, crisis is mismanaged economically and all the other ways or do you want to skip that because it's um... well uh, in fact uh, this has kept me busy for, uh, last year I wrote a couple of articles which you can uh, look down at uh, on the Axe des Guten and on uh, the Unstatistik des Monats blog which uh, is managed by a colleague of mine uh, Unstatistik des Monats there we have a couple of uh, yeah, articles yeah, yeah. on Corona. Um, well, the article which should have appeared today in Tisch's Einblick, uh, the, the key point is that the danger as such from this pandemic is less than uh, governments would like us to believe. The but medical danger. Yeah, but it's still dangerous enough because it spreads so easily. In that respect, it's much more dangerous than any of the usual flu epidemics that we had in the recent decades. So it can easily uh, um, involve the whole population in a short time if you didn't take measures against it. So in that uh, respect, um, lockdowns and measures like that are um, semi-justified. Uh, one could obtain the same objective uh, with less stress on uh, public life, for instance, by focusing on hotspots, on people who are most exposed to risk, not uh, covering the whole population in a unique yeah. manner, yeah. which is, I think, not, not the best way to deal with that. Um, um, so, um back to money stuff um, because of corona I would have predicted that the stock market would like go like woo and it has instead gone like woo and then you know back up and it's it's been steady actually it's um, uh, exceeded the, the, even the trend that was continuing yeah, right. before you know 2019 um, <clears throat> which is weird right so no it's happened once in a while it's a speculative bubble for sure we had one in the late 1990s, which burst in, uh, I think, March 2000. Uh, and this happens once in a while that uh, people, knowing that stocks are overvalued, still buy them, hoping that they would still go on increasing in value, which is happening at the moment. I know a lot, lot of stupid uh, people uh, borrowing money to invest in stocks at the moment. Crazy. Uh, 
the, not very far in the future. Uh, we can have a bet on it. I think before Easter this year, the bubble will burst. Okay. Um, you know, just for the, for the sake of it, you could take that bet. I think I would also bet for it bursting before that. But, uh, <laughs> and what about, um, <clears throat> what about my theory about this is that uh, stock prices are in part increasing. Well, you know, because there's the, a bunch of money being, being printed, one, one thing. And the second thing related to this is that people are kind of fleeing the euro. Like, like it's not attractive to hold cash. And so people mm. buy stocks because that's like, apart from gold, is like the only like sensible thing to buy. What do you think of that? That's right. Uh, well, the other sensible thing, uh, people, what people think is sensible, buying uh, property, uh, immobilian houses, uh, flats, apartments, which is, which also have been increasing in price drastically in recent months. Uh, which is also speculative, which, month, uh, really? which will, uh, well, I know because um, my daughter, uh, who is visiting us with our grandson on a weekend, is trying to buy a, a house, a wohnung in, in Hamburg. It's, Ooh, it's, it's so uh, ridiculously expensive. Uh, yeah, wow. I just refuse to lend her money to do that. Uh, Good decision. I mean, the, the wrong bet to take, to, to give her money. Um, what about gold? Do you think it's a sensible thing to buy for someone today? Well, at, you cannot lose too much if you do so. Um, you should have done that three years ago. It would have been a better idea. But still doing it today uh, is lots better than uh, buying stocks. Okay, thanks. Um, I, I think I'm a big fan of gold and, and silver and stuff like that. And I think it's not late. Actually, I've been looking at the charts of the gold price in Euro and um, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's Surprise. been flat. Surprisingly, it's yeah, been yeah. flat. Yeah. Uh, like, um, so I looked at 2020, okay, in 2020, yeah. you would have expected it to go up, like maybe in February, March. Actually, it went down. I was like, what is happening? Well, it doesn't make sense. And so then it, it went, you know, up and down a bit, but it's basically the same price right it's now a, as it was like... about in, gold at the moment. Gold. Yeah, gold. yeah. Same price as it was a year ago. So, um, I, I predict that to go way up, uh, right? And uh, it has not been, I, I would predict it's not too late to, to actually buy gold. Um, um, let me think, if I had a million euro at the moment, what would I do with that? Um, I would put them under my pillow and wait for the well, crash to come. Yeah, but your, your euro coins? Yeah, no, just stow, stow the money in um, banknotes. What kind of banknotes, right? Let me think. Mixture of euro and dollar, half euro, half dollar. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. we, we could we could bet on that. That Chinese yuan, or basically anything else, would be better than euro and dollar. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my prediction. You know? Okay, fine. Let's you talk that about that in a, uh, three months' time. Okay. Easter. Actually, I've been trying to buy Chinese yuan, like the actual physical, um, mm -hmm. you know, paper stuff, forever, and it's not possible. Like nobody sells you Chinese yuan. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. It's maybe one of the reasons why it's so undervalued, actually. Well, I think the Chinese mir miracle um, is coming to an end. I do not think that investing in China is a long-term good idea. Um, the Chinese situation at the moment reminds me of Russia in the late 1950s when the whole world was afraid of the Russian Colossus and the Sputnik 
had just been launched and everybody was counting the month until Russia would surpass the United States in per capita income. Didn't happen and it will never happen in a government or in a, an economy which is run by socialist principles. Impossible. Well, it's not run on social, socialist principles. Well, they have um, made compromises in various areas, but when it comes to hard decisions, it's still the um, Communist Party who decides what's being produced, what's being built, what the exchange rate is and all that stuff. <clears throat> so um, I'm going to put a word on this because uh, one of my favorite podcasters called Jim Rott, he, uh, he uses the word neo-fascism. And I think the word fascism is really, really uh, a passant here because... For the Chinese system? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Hmm. So what's fascism? Like the, the, the elements of it, right? So it runs on some kind of like market uh, economy, but it's really top down, right? So like basically uh, the top guy in a not very democratic way is ruling the entire country. Let's, you know, basically um, a market economy flourish, hmm. but who's going to get the contracts? The ones who are, you know, um, close to the system, right? So it's, it's, it's a kind of like a very corrupt, very nationalistic, uh, but market economy. And so I think China fulfills all those criteria. I think it, it's easy to, to call this neo-fascism. Well, if you just confine yourself to the way the economy is run, that might be true, yeah. But it reminds me of uh, Nazi Germany and uh, Rüstungsminister Speer and the way he organized the German economy in World War II. It's, uh, there are similarities, yeah. Mm. So, um, as a in opposition to you, um, I don't see China as, as, a, as a definite loser. In fact, I do think <clears throat> that what China is doing is actually extremely um, productive and, and, and very successful. I, if I had in to the bet, medium run, in the short run, like Russia was in the 1950s. Yeah, so um, interesting, right? And so um, China right now, what it's, it's dependent on is its exports. They fuel that with their very undervalued currency. They have a lot of cheap labor. And there's like uh, so many people like entering the, the economy in China itself, and then going from from the uh, from the from the fields back into the cities, right? So all those factors I think come together, and 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 you, it ends at some point. Like there's only so many people you can pull from from the fields back to to your factories, and it's only so long you can like keep your currency down. But I think there's one thing. Like actually, there are two things that that are in favor of them. One is their their system of surveillance and like kind of like success in like uh, turning this uh, system into something that that it really is top down and I don't see like major like movement in like uh, against it so like in a social way and the second second thing is like um, they they have like a major big uh, market they don't they they do rely on exports mm -hmm. but I think in the future they're gonna be just fine without the exports and I think those two things um, come together to actually make it a very successful uh, you know power well. Still, per capita income in China is what a third or what of uh, it, uh, European average or about. So they still have a lot of um, um, way to go up uh, until they are in the same level. So maybe they reach sixty percent, seventy percent, and that's it. Uh, but they will never overtake Europe. Never yeah, overtake. They're, 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 they're the, the numbers uh, are big enough. So even seventy percent of uh, a, a trillion is more than hundred uh, percent of uh, a tenth of that. Yeah, that's right. And um, so that's one thing. And the second thing is like, as soon as their currency is, is will find its real value, you know, overnight they will overtake America and and the and the EU. I mean, 
I think they already have a very you know strong economy, and, and that's uh, the numbers, not the per capita numbers. They will never uh, overtake Europe and the United States in per capita productivity or production or whatever. Um, I, I looked at the PPP adjusted, the purchase power parity mm. power adjusted uh, GDP mm. per capita, no, the, the, the entire GDP of China, and it's at par with the US's, give or take ten percent or something like that. Really. Yeah, if you adjust for uh, the purchase power, China is at par with the US. I have to check that. Uh, please check it because I, I was like, what? It, 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 it's unbelievable. It, it's still behind the EU. Mm -hmm. um, so to, to me, that means, right, like if, if uh, you know, um, there's a real market for, you know, exchange between the renminbi and the EU, uh, like euro, whatever, it's actually going to show up in there being, you know, just like overnight, 50%, uh, uh, you know, uh, richer than us. Um, add that to the European uh, failing democracy and our, you know, uh, incompetence in, in regulating, you know, um, um, big money. And I think they have way better chances to, you know, be uh, the superpower of the next century. Hmm. In fact, um, there is another superpower which we haven't talked about, which is very much underrated, which is India. And I think... Uh, well, you might still be able to be a witness that uh, in 50 years time or 100 years time it will be India which will be the economic superpower because they are much more market oriented and much more creative uh, in the areas where I have been involved as a researcher. Uh, Indians were much more productive than Chinese, still are. Um, in terms of numbers they are equal almost. Um, if they manage to uh, overcome the first big obstacles like uh, having a uh, running public transport system, having a functioning uh, rail, uh, um, electricity production system like the Russians did under Stalin and Khrushchev in the 50s, uh, to overcome these initial obstacles. Once they are over that, they will soon uh, get steam and uh, accelerate their productivity and eventually be uh, a more serious competitor than the Chinese are. I definitely hope so because they are, they are running a liberal democracy and they are very diverse and they are kind of like reflecting Europe in a way because in Europe we have a lot of different nationalities and nations and languages and it is kind of like that. Um, they are more united in a way but if you go to India, actually people on the ground will, will tell you that no, I'm, I'm kind of Indian, but I'm also like, you know, uh, like whatever, you know, a Tamil or whatever. Um, I do, you know, um, root for them. Um, it would be really awesome. It would be a, a great bastion of democracy for, for a big country. Uh, let's see what comes out of it. Bitcoin and blockchain in general. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a cool idea? Well, well, well. Uh, my daughter, in fact, uh, bought some two years ago and I told her that's a bad investment. Uh, so far it was a good investment. Um, it's as with the stock market, um, based on expectations. So people who buy Bitcoin uh, hope, are hoping or betting that somebody else will uh, pay more for them in a year's time. And if that doesn't materialize, doesn't happen, uh, the whole thing might collapse very Tr drastically, like the tulip uh, 
bubble in Amsterdam in the 1632, uh, I think. That's my favorite example for such um, speculative bubbles. Yeah, okay. Um, so that's just Bitcoin and uh, there's like a bunch of other uh, different blockchain-based cryptocurrencies, right? Um, like one of my favorite ones is Ethereum. Have you heard of that maybe? Like yes, one of my colleagues here is also in investing in that. Mm -hmm. I'm really uh, optimistic about that because it's not only so, so the thing that I, I think is cool is that it's not just a currency. So um, I see Ethereum and the, its currency, the Ether, as, as being like a, a platform to build upon. And, and crucially, it's a uh, it's it's a non-centralized, a decentralized, mm -hmm. uh, like ownerless system right, yeah. uh, that doesn't just do money. It also like uh, distributes uh, smart contracts and everything. And I think when I, I spoke about Game B, and how to align people's incentives to actually do the good of, of the whole you know, uh, community. Mm -hmm. I, I somehow like, feel like I cannot put my finger on it, I cannot say what exactly, but I think in that direction, like cryptocurrency and, and blockchain, there's something, some things to look at. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, well, they have uh, at least they have several positive side effects as well. One of them is that the power of central banks is diminished. They don't, don't no longer are the bosses of the money and the people create their own money which in fact they uh, have always been allowed to do in Germany. In fact, there are regions where they have created uh, their own money. I have a chapter in my book where I collected all of them. Uh, it's completely legal. Uh, if others are prepared to accept uh, what you create as your own money as a medium of exchange, it uh, will work. Uh, and that's the... Uh, well... The aspect of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other ones uh, being a very good medium of exchange. In fact, the mafia likes it a lot because it's not traceable any, uh, and so on. So it's a very good medium of exchange, but it's not a good medium uh, store of value. Like usual money, money is, has lots of aspects to, to it, and one of them is a store of value. And that aspect, I don't trust uh, the cryptocurrencies. I think as we talk, 2021. I see this kind of uh, upside down. I think today, uh, not a lot of people use Bitcoin to actually, you know, buy stuff, but they use it to speculate and for mm -hmm. store value. Um, it could change, but I'm not sure if it could change in a in a sense that uh, so Bitcoin can only execute about like ten uh, transactions per second. Obviously, if it were to grow to like a global system, it would have to be like tens of thousands per second. That's, that's one major limitation, and like Ethereum is trying to solve that. Ethereum is also trying to solve other problems connected to like how many computers need to run and how much electricity they need to use. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a hard problem and it, 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 is it ever going to be solved? Is it ever going to be as efficient as like a banking system? Um, but but I think um, like that that's that's the future big question. That's what we could bet on. Like, is it ever going to be something that people use in a day-to-day -day, um, uh, you know exchange environment? Because I think uh, if it if it does that then that's the way that's the day that its value is going to explode and that's the day that um that you know central banks are going to you know uh, just shut it down because uh, yeah. um, that's going to be their end um well i will not comment on that um, my best forecast would be once this bubble has exploded interest in this whole business will diminish a lot mm. Uh, which business? The, the, the cryptocurrency? Uh, cryptocurrency, yeah. 
we should actually write on the list the kind of bets that we want to take <laughs> because I, I really i really do want to make bets with you what was the one bet that we agreed on like, the stock market bubble will burst before uh, easter that's uh, you can quote me on that stock market bubble burst when do you predict it excuse me for, for when do you predict it until easter this year cool um So one last question in English. Let's do that. Um, learning and some of psychological biases that you have identified. What? So that there are some psychological biases, right? Like people um, don't deal good with statistics and, and it's, it's a negative thing. But have you ever found one aspect of it where you can weaponize it against them? Like, can you use their own weakness to... Um, to, to make them make, make, make like the, the better people, to make them learn faster, be better people? To mean to use people's faults in digesting data to, to make them better persons or? <laughs> yeah, hmm. uh, I'm not sure about the question. Like, have you found, like, have you, yeah, have you found the, the, the one point on the Death Star that if you drop your bomb there, mm. the Death Star is going to go down? Like, well, it's easy, uh, like, for instance, um, by misrepresenting risks to make people accept risks which otherwise wouldn't if they knew how dangerous it is what they are doing. Um, or take uh, um, lotto or games where people uh, are persuaded to participate by being made to think that they cannot but gain uh, and believe it, which of course is a, a fake. Uh, so that's one aspect which comes to my mind where people are persuaded to do things by misrepresenting facts to them or probabilities. Yeah. I think I have to think about this question and like, I'm not even sure what I wanted to ask about it. Um, <clears throat> could we do the memes now? Mm. So just uh, resurrecting extinct species. There's the Neanderthal, the mm. T-Rex, uh, and the mammoth that comes to mind. You think it's a good idea? You think we should do that? Even whether it's possible, or it might be possible. Assume it's possible. You mean whether I think it's possible, or whether I wish it is well, possible? Well, you know, we, we could talk about both. Mm. Well, with the... Uh, growth of genetic engineering, it might be possible to reproduce um, a species from genetic material which has been preserved. Might That's my belief too, yeah. Yeah. and mm -hmm. if not today, maybe in 10, 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we are 20 years down the line, it is possible, it costs $100. Do we do that or not? Should we do that? Do we actually owe it to them to revive them because we killed them? Well, uh, most species were extinct long before uh, Homo sapiens uh, entered uh, the earth. So um, that would um, not solve the problem. Take the dinosaurs. Uh, would it be nice to have them back? Uh, hmm. Most species which are now extinct became extinct for good reason, because uh, uh, they were not genetically adapted to the environment. True, true. But okay, so what, what about Neanderthal, you could argue? I mean, we are, you know, to three to five percent Neanderthal, mm. which is crazy. 
but we kind of killed them, right? It's pretty obvious that we slaughtered them. We just we just went over them and, and they are dead, right? So Neanderthal, you could argue, I mean, was it natural selection? Yeah, but they were our brothers. We are kind of them. Like, isn't it like, sh shouldn't we, you know, give them another chance? Mm -hmm. Well, now my utilitarian economist type of thinking um, is working in my head because the surviving species, according to Darwin, did survive because it has had advantages. And the others had disadvantages. Why should we conserve disadvantages? True. Sure. Okay. I like that. Um, the mammoth, on the other hand, it's the same thing, right? Like we we kill the mammoth. There's evidence for that. The mammoth are an agon. If we brought them back, they would probably live in some kind of zoo or in some kind of like natural reserve. Like they would never actually, you know, like roam the steppes, right? Um, is it a nice idea to like create a mammoth and put it in a zoo? Well, this touches another question we discussed, whether animals have a mind, whether they can feel happy. Um, what do you think, by the way? Well, your example with the dogs made me think twice. Um, I'll take a close look when we have our next holiday in France, whether dogs move away or not when I cross the street. <laughs> Good one. Keep this open for a while. Um, what worries you most about our collective future? What's the number one danger that we're facing today? No, I'm not that much worried. Uh, this, oh well, optimism developed when I got involved in the history of Rome. Um, the amount of uh, malice, uh, das heißt, extremely unhuman behavior, rotten individuals, ruining societies. Um, mankind survived all that easily. Um, and it will survive anything we do at the moment. All right. Um, chivalry. Is chivalry a thing that we should have more of? Is it kind of bad that we lost it entirely? You mean what you call Höflichkeit in German? No, yeah. mm. no I think uh, this is genetically valuable because it is good for your own survival. If you treat the other members of a species with respect and dignity, this helps you, your own genes, to survive. So it's genetically advantageous and therefore it's a good thing. What do you think specifically about men treating women um, in, a, in a very nice way, like opening the doors, you know, um, bowing in front of them. Mm -hmm. Well, this can of course be um, misinterpreted, as you know. Um, they can be made, uh, or they can feel like being treated as subjects. Uh, I would uh, see this case dependent. Um, if there were an old lady of 80 uh, leaving my office, I would open the door for her. If it is a student of 18, I wouldn't. Podcasts. Once per, de uh, de not decade, uh, 
half a year, seven, okay. seven years ago. Because somebody sent it to you. Like you're not mm. a regular podcast listener. No. no. Okay. So uh, once in a while, my wife makes me uh, look at or listen to one because she's uh, she got her iPhone three years back, and ever since she became, she likes it. Other than me, I use it just to do phone calls, and that's it. Okay. Okay. Um, got two more questions here. One is about beer, wine, whiskey, and other alcoholic delicacies. Uh, what's your preference? What's your go-to alcohol if you drink alcohol? Yes, I do. Um, changes a while. Uh, in a while, I grew up in a region of Germany where Bitburger pills used to be fed to uh, children, to babies <laughs> like me. Uh, Bitburger pills. So I grew up with Bitburger pills, beer. Okay, and you um, still like it. Then I moved to Mainz, where I grew up, um, and this is the capital of the German wine-growing regions. So I was, got very fond of Riesling from the Rheingau. Um, and as to hard drinks, I like whiskey a lot. Uh, have, you, have you ever drunk a Hungarian Palinka, maybe by chance? Is this uh, Marillen schnapps? Or? or any schnapps, basically, yeah. Yeah, well, I used to live in Vienna for... Um, Four years, in fact. Uh, that's where I did my second PhD, and we went to Budapest twice. And I, we always brought back a, a bottle of Marillen schnapps. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that. Okay, um, I'm a I'm a schnapps brewer, and me and my, oh, my father we do that, and I think it's a very very noble thing. And, it, and I really like to drink, you know, the the sweat of my own labor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, music. What kind of music do you like? Um, Music well, I grew up as a teenager in the 60s, and that's of course. Uh, you were not listening to music as such. Um, you could not but uh, listen to the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and all those 60s type of pop music. I still do today, so whenever um, my wife and me um, don't have children around, which prefer others, we have in our Spotify. Um, a sensor 60s music. Okay. So. Cool. I'm immensely thankful for your time and uh, for your comments. Um, I had a lot of fun. Thanks for the, for the opportunity. Ja, dann mach mal was draus. All right.